Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Elevate Yourself podcast. I am your host, Rob Harden Anderson. I am the fitness and wellness manager at the resort at Playa Vista, and I work for Elevation Corporate Health and Wellness. Um, And in each episode of this podcast, uh, I'm going to be having a conversation with folks from all different walks of life about how to elevate yourself. And it is my hope that these conversations will make you think, they will force you to change your best, and as a result, help you get a little bit closer to becoming the best version of you. Um, The resort in Playa Vista is a a state-of-the-art facility. Um, 11,000 residents have access to our residential-only facility. Um, The company I work for, Elevation Corporate Health and Wellness, has been in business for over 26 years. We manage facilities all across uh, the country in the residential and corporate landscape. And today, I am very excited to introduce you to our very first guest on this podcast, Mr. Serge Kajadorian. Hello. Uh, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Serge is, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled about this because Serge is not only uh, my assistant manager and assistant manager at the resort, he's our, our lead trainer. He's got over... 20 years of experience in the fitness industry. He was a CrossFit gym owner. He's a rugby coach. He's trained private clients of, of all ages. And uh, on a personal note, he was, uh, he's been my coach when I was uh, trying to run Spartan races for the last couple of years. Um, so, uh, Serge, good morning. How are we doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Sun is still out, so I'm excited. So it's good. It is um, Serge and I, we are, uh, today is March 19th, 2020, and we were, um, when we originally were going to do this, we we had plans to be in the the same space together to record this at the resort, Um, but as a result of social distancing, we are um, a a couple miles apart here in uh, in California to record this today. Yeah, it's the new norm right now. Everyone's staying at least six feet apart. It is. Um, and, and I want to get into that with you, Serge, um, as we get going, um, because I know that I'm getting a lot of that from folks on Instagram and from clients and uh, what people can do during this period of time. And we'll get into that. But uh, I wanted to first just kind of, uh, I wanted to open it up to you. I always, um, I always think I, I like to, to say to people, and you've heard me do this in interviews when we've interviewed uh, folks to try to find the right fit for an individual to join our team at the resort. But I, I always like to say, uh, start at birth and, and go, go, go till now. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go from birth. So I was born in Beirut, Lebanon. That's in the middle East for some of you that may not know, but for the most part, I don't remember anything from there. I was three years old when I moved here, when my parents brought me here. And, uh, you know, from there I went to an Armenian private school because my parents didn't want me to forget my culture. I'm Armenian. So, you know, they made sure I had to remember that and graduated in 98. And I would say in probably 98 is when I decided to join the fitness industry. That's my, that was my first job was a front desk employee checking people in at a gym in 1998, right out of high school. And I was still going to college. I didn't know I wanted to be a trainer, just kind of moved around in the fitness industry for a couple of years as a manager. And then I decided I wanted to be a trainer. I always loved working out. I was a four sport athlete in high school and was always athletically fit, always came easy to me, you know? So I decided, you know what? I love teaching, but I'm not really a fan of teaching kids. You know, I don't have children myself, so, that should tell you, you know, it's not the easiest thing for me. So I'm like, okay, what can I do? I love fitness. I love teaching. Let me be a trainer. I'll teach people how to work out. You know, it's a perfect fit. So I decided I want to be a trainer. I did one of the things that someone, a trainer taught me when I was young. And this is, I hope a trainer is listening or someone that wants to be a trainer and they hear this. They're like, listen, you want to be a trainer? Don't make the mistake that most trainers make. Become a salesperson first. Learn how to sell. Because most trainers become trainers because they love, they have passion for fitness and they forget the business side of it. They forget that's a business just like anything else. You could love teaching. You could love working out as much as you want. If you don't know how to make a business out of it, you're not going to succeed. So they're like, learn how to sell. Took that to heart. 
did sales for a year or two, and then decided, okay, now I'm ready to become a trainer. Became a trainer. It was around 2000, something like that. And someone turned me on to CrossFit around 2003. It was still almost brand new. It started around 1998. And I opened my first CrossFit gym or my only CrossFit gym in 2005. And I did everything in that gym. I taught every class. I did maintenance. I did marketing. I did everything. I had trainers that taught classes with me, but I did everything for seven years. Got burned out, sold the gym to my assistants, and I moved to Sri Lanka. Just me and my girlfriend packed everything up and we moved to Sri Lanka. I had a good friend that I made in college times. He was Sri Lankan and he's like, why don't you come over here? It's a nice tropical island. You'll do really well with your experience, your knowledge. I was like, all right, that's not a bad idea. Who doesn't want to live on a tropical island? Moved to Sri Lanka. And my plan at first was to open a training facility there and do the same thing I did here. But then I'm like, you know what? I, through friends, through contacts, I got, came into contact with this high school there, this, uh, I guess, a boarding school, you would call it. And they hired me as their strength and conditioning coach for their rugby team. And through there, I kind of just did that while I was there for three years. And I decided to move back some personal issues, family issues, health with my mom and things like that. And when I came back, I decided I have to do something different. Personal training was just saturated by the time I got back to the States in 2015. There was boutique gyms everywhere. CrossFits were everywhere. Training was everywhere. Everyone and their mother was a trainer. So I'm like, I got to do something to stick out. So what I did was you hire me as a personal trainer and as your meal prep cook. So what I was doing was training a few clients and I would go to their house, train them maybe three to five days a week. It was more commitment to kind of a little more commitment based uh, training. So it was three to five days a week at least. And I would stay there, cook their food, prep it, put it in their fridge and then they're ready and I leave and they have their food ready to go too, which most trainers didn't really do that. So that's how I stuck out. And then I kind of was starting to miss the gym culture. You know, you get, you kind of miss it. The clanking of the iron, you know, the grunting and people sweating and, you know, just putting in work in a gym setting. So I'm like, I, I think I'm going to try to get a job at a gym again, kind of pick up some clients. I missed that setting. And through, you know, online job recruiting things, I found Elevation and I'm still happy I did because I'm working there now. It's a great company and it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, and that is, that pretty much brings us to now. So now I'm kind of doing the assistant managing thing at Elevation, training my clients. I've put the uh, private client thing on hold. I only have one private client that I still see five days a week. Other than that, it's mostly at Elevation, which I love. And yeah, that brings us now to the present. That was awesome. Um, and I, I hope that anybody that's, that's listening to this, and, and this is why I, I think this question is so great. Um, because it gives the individual, um, for anybody who's listening to this and looking at like hiring or getting to know somebody, I, I asked Serge that question and we learned and I learned so much about you in that. So many of those things I already knew about your background, but there are so many interesting things in there. Um, and so, um, and, in, and in that you were, um, you, vulner, you were vulnerable and I learned so much about you. And I, and I think that's why that question is, is so great. Um, I want to unpack some of those things you just shared. Yeah. With us. Um, so, uh, I'm going to take it all the way back to the, the Armenian private school. Um, tell us about that and kind of, um, how those experiences, um, inform who you are today. I, I always say that a big part of what informed me was when I spent almost five years of my childhood from the time I was five till I was almost 10 living in England. Um, and I went to a private school and I had to wear a tie every day. Um, and that structure taught me discipline and, uh, I believe that still carries with me today. So I, I'm just curious about the Armenian private school and what you learned from that experience. Well, that's, yeah, that's exactly, that's one of the things that really sticks out is the discipline and structure. Uh, cause because they're private, you know, they could, they have their own kind of rules that they could kind of set for the school. So they have certain rules, certain time structures, and, you know, it's, they stick to it. And if you don't, they, you get kicked out. You know, that's the thing. They can't kick you out. Whereas a public school, they can't just, you know, because a student is, keeps coming late to class or is not wearing the uniform, right. they can't 
discipline them by just saying, sorry, you know, you, get, you know, there's certain rules they have to follow. But a private school, that's one of the things is you have a uniform, you have to wear it. You, and it's certain measurements you have to follow. And I know it sounds to some people like, man, that's who wants to live that way. But you'd be surprised the discipline that carries over in your life afterwards. You know, that doing this, just learning how to have that discipline makes a big difference. One of the big things that I love about the private school, and I mean, and I, if I had children, and of course I would do anything if I could afford it to send them, this is one of the big reasons is classes. My biggest class was 22 students right. in a classroom, which makes a big difference when you're learning. You cannot they, hide. You can't yeah. hide, right? And the teacher can give you better attention. There's only yeah. 22 students. And my graduating class had 67 students. That's it. Yeah. So, and I knew 61 of them from kindergarten. Wow. So we went to school because it's a kindergarten to 12th grade, pre-kindergarten. Uh, we went to school, 61 of us from the age of five or six. I can't remember when we went to school all the way to 18. That is a friendship. Like that's a, like a friendship, a bond that you can't break. So some of them I haven't seen, I saw in about three years ago that I haven't seen since 1998 when we graduated. Yeah. It's like not even skipping a beat. You know, it's like you haven't missed a day. That that bond just does not go away. That's something that is, I think that you can't get unless you go to a private school that is from kindergarten to twelfth grade. Because I think most public schools, kids go to a different elementary, different middle school, and different high school. You kind of lose some friendships along the way. It's difficult to explain to people that haven't had friendships that long. You know. You know, you're, you're, you're so spot on and, and this is interesting and perhaps this is why we get along so well, but like my graduating high school, now I joined it as a freshman of, in high school, but it was the same thing, K through 12, and my graduating class was 81 people and majority yeah. of them had gone to school together their entire time, the same thing, K through 12, um, but my graduating class was 81 and uh, yeah, and I think you're right about that, that sense of community right because it's like everybody you just you those are bonds that cannot be uh you can't manufacture that that is no. just yeah right and they're very hard to break yes that's the yes. thing well, you have the benefit of growing up in a small town from what i remember yes I, you right. know, it's people from la are the ones or new york the big cities yeah. you know but if you're from a small i have friends from joplin missouri they have the same you know and right. they have to go to a private school so yeah, it's, it's the community feel of basically the small town, you know, that's within the school. Yeah. Um, you talked about that, that first fitness job in 98. Yeah. Um, front desk. Yeah. <laughs> Checking and, people in. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this before when we have uh, brought people onto our team, but um, what were some of the big things that you remember learning about that oh, job and how, and how did you handle it? I think there was something about a towel. Tell us uh, about that. Well, so the owners were, it was a private club. It wasn't like an LA fitness type club. It was a private and it was supposed to be deemed a high end country club, private club type place. They had racquetball, steam room, sauna, movie theater to watch movies and shows, a restaurant, you know, pool, jacuzzi outside. It was just everything you needed, you know, like tanning bed. People would go there and hang out for hours at a right. time. And the owner wanted to look like a hotel. He was like a development guy. You know, he just had buildings everywhere. He the, Basically, the reason he opened the gym was to have a place to go with his friends. And then slowly it just started to become a business, you know. He wanted, he wanted it spotless. He would come every day. So it's his, he would still go there every day. He would come in during checkups and put on a white glove and check over the picture frames to see if there was any dust on the railings. He wanted it spotless like a hotel. So if people don't know, people listening don't know about the hospitality industry, they are probably leading in the customer service, cleanliness, you know, hotels, things like that. Like the training they get is top notch. He wanted the same type of training and attitude in the gym. So at the front desk, I had to wear slacks, shoes, white button-down shirt, long sleeve, a vest, and a tie. Wow. And they're like, is this a hotel or a gym? We'd be like, it's a gym. Welcome. Marble floors. It was top-notch. No sitting down at the gym. There was no chairs. You have to stand, greet people a certain way. I mean, it was, and it sounds, again, like, to, to me, this is like, I loved it. To some people, it might sound like, wow, who wants to work like that? But the discipline I learned from it, it carries over to when I, I started my training business, you know, right. it, 
So one of my favorite quotes, I know you're going to ask me, and I'm just going to drop it now so people understand. This will pretty much anyone listening, you'll be like, okay, now I get Serge. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. That, and some people go, man, that's taking it too far. You can't really tell that much about someone. Um, You'd be surprised what you could tell about someone by just watching them do one thing. Like you'd be surprised, you know, and really watch them and see how they do that one thing. Chances are that's going to carry over to almost anything else they do. You're you're so you're so spot on. You're so spot on this, and you know I love quotes, and and we've talked about this before, and it it is. It's like, um, it's the discipline that it takes you uh, to do your meal prep. Um, that you doing it, that one thing carries over into how you discipline yourself the rest of the day. I, we talk about it a lot to like our team at the resort, we say like, um, are you able to walk past a piece of paper that is on the ground that should be in the trash that somebody else put there? Or are you going to keep walking? Right? Like, no, that's not, seems- it's not in your job description, but are you going to bend over and pick up that piece of paper and put it in the trash? I'll tell you this right now. So let's say we're walking with an employee and they don't pick up that paper. Right. I'm going to say, I'm going to make an educated guess. Chances are, and it might sound mean, their house is a little sloppy too. I bet you there's a sweater on the couch, maybe yep. a, and, so <laughs> right. and that's an educated guess. And right. I could be wrong. Maybe that day, right? But chances are somewhere along the line that week, he gets, you know, like, or she, like, whoever it is that didn't pick up the piece of paper, chances are they do the same thing somewhere else. Like, maybe an appointment. They're like, ah, I'm a few minutes late. It's okay. Right? It's, it's those little things, you know? Yeah. And it shows. It totally does. And it totally carries over. It absolutely carries over. And in, I think the other, just to go back to that, that first job of yours uh, where you were, you were dressed up like a, like a bellhop in a gym, that idea of hospitality. And it's something that we've talked about and certainly something that um, our company elevation really, we, we pride ourselves on that. Yeah. What makes us stand out um, from an LA fitness or another chain gym, whoever we keep saying LA fitness, I think both, just cause both of us have spent so much time working out at those gyms. But, yeah, I know that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's why we use them as a, yeah. as a reference, but, um, that it, it's the hospitality, um, and the customer service is what we really pride ourselves on and what we are delivering that makes us different from another place that's, you know, just looking for those recurring payments each month. Um, well, yeah, because we are a service business, we're a service industry. That's the thing. You know, so we have to treat it as such, you know, so it's a hospitality service industry. We're providing a service. We can't forget that. Uh, first and foremost, it's a service. So we have to treat it like one. We, we have to l- learn how to talk to customers, how to treat them, you know, the tone of voice, the, your, the body language when they're in front of you. All that makes a huge difference. You talked about being a, uh, a, a four sport athlete in high school. Uh, yeah. T- tell us about, tell, I know that you, you were at one point, were you running like a five minute mile or something? Uh, no, no, six minutes, six minute mile. Six minutes. But you know, it's funny amazing. in high school, in high school, long distance wasn't my sport. I didn't start running long distance till I was maybe 25, 26. And it only lasted like a few years, maybe three, four years. That's about it. And at one point I, I was running this same park maybe three times a week. And it was about five point something miles, Balboa Park, if you're familiar with San Fernando Valley, anybody out there listening yeah. and around the entire thing. I know and that park. I've run that park. Yeah. I was running in 30 minutes. And my goal was to, uh, so people, girls and people would pass by on bicycles, rollerblades and things like that. My goal was to try to keep up with them as much as I can, you know, and if I would pass someone on a bicycle, I would turn and give them a look like, come on, come on, what are you doing? Like try to pass them on a roller blades, you know, (laughs) that was my, that was my goal. That's what I would try to do to push me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So did you run track in high school or were the sports that you Yeah, 400 meters? I ran basketball Uh and I did volleyball and then soccer. And do you remember only, I only ask this because this is, uh, we, we have surged. This was Serge's awesome idea for this year. We have implemented a strength and cardio standard at the resort, um, in Playa Vista that's on the wall where, where residents, um, can to do these, uh, these standards and strength and in cardio. Um, and the ultimate goal is that if you try to change your best on each one of these, that by the end of the year, you'll be in the best shape of your life. Do you, do you remember what you were running a 400 at when you were in uh, high school? 
high school, my best time was 56 or 57, if I'm not mistaken. I ran my butt off. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and I still lost. I was in first place. A friend of ours was running like 52, 51. Oh. He got a scholarship. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then while we're talking about high school, and I, I'm bringing this up because I'm, it's amazing to me how much the high school landscape and industry of high school sports has changed since, since I was in high school. But do you remember any kind of um, – I was laughing about this with an a old friend of mine recently. About, do you remember anything about, like, was there any kind of nutrition plan or, like, what a, <laughs> what a coach said to you afterwards? No, no. So <laughs> right, here's, right, here's, right. The, here's the downside of going to an uh, academic college preparatory Armenian private school. They spent yeah. no money on athletics. Right. Our, someone's Armenian dad or like uncle, he right. was smoking cigarettes. <laughs> we would go, I don't know if you know the Middle Eastern culture, Army is there. they smoke cigarettes. From yeah. So we'd go to other, to other schools, right? And they weren't Armenian schools. And we'd be outside going over the plan because the coach wanted to smoke a cigarette while he was going over the plan. <laughs> the game plan is like, all right, guys, this is <laughs> things like that. Was like, you know, run suicides, shoot around, you know, he, he things he kind of learn from other people and yes. stuff like that you know it was, yeah there was, <laughs> was yeah. No yeah right i know well it was, was, it, you know. yeah i know and like i'm pretty sure like my diet during two-a-day football practices in kentucky humidity in high school was like go home eat like four bowls of cereal <laughs> yeah. eat ramen noodles like there was like no i mean i guess the ramen noodles i was getting sodium and i guess i was getting carbs from the from the cereal but like but like now it's like i go back to my old high school and it's like all right so we have protein powder here like they've got a whole like protocol and procedure they probably have a nutritionist just about yeah Yeah, just about (laughs) like and they've they've got it all there on site for all the players after the workout after the lift before they're going wherever it's just it's really it's amazing i mean i think about like we would take a bus trip to an away game that was like two or three hours away we would stop at a golden corral. I don't even know if you have those in California. <laughs> yeah, it was like a buffet. And you yeah. would just have a, like a, a 80, 80 member football team would get off the bus. They, we'd stuff our faces in the golden corral and then go out and try to play a football game two hours later. We'd like, have it in and out. That was our <laughs> thing. We'd have it in and out. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable where we've, we've come. Um, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't optimal. We got through it. But imagine. Right. You know, know. we have things we have now. My goodness, that's I get upset when kids don't take advantage of it either. You know, but right, what they what they have at their disposal, right, 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 right. But in some ways, maybe that grit helps us that they don't they they don't have today. I don't know. Yeah, some people might argue that. Yeah, they lack that grit. You know. You mentioned your um, the the sales job, and I I want to hit on this because. you're you're excellent about this and it's it's something that i know i experienced when i first started as a personal trainer was this idea of making sure that you are running a business that you're prioritizing your time um and that you're you're very clear about what what the expectations are um talk to us a little bit about that that sales job and um going that route first and what you learned from that and kind of maybe a trainer that's starting out three three tips on how to make personal training a business. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, what people, I guess they start to realize is selling an intangible. What I mean by that is something you can't really touch or hold. So selling a computer is very easy to somebody. You just have them hold it, play around with it. If they like it, chances are they're going to buy it. Right. I mean, it's not too hard to sell that, but what we're selling, they can't hold, they can't touch. They can't really see it either because it's something that's going to happen in the future if they put in the work, right? So they have to actually be honest with themselves too, knowing that, oh man, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this. So it's very difficult. So they learn young trainers and I did too, a little bit. I'm lucky I had to do sales or I got to do sales and that it's very difficult to sell something that people can't touch, see and feel because this is another thing you learn. If I had a quarter every time and you too, probably someone told me you're a trainer, I want to train with you. Let me have your number. I'd be a millionaire right now. Right. right. right? Every time it, it's like you go somewhere, you go, I'm a trainer. They start asking you questions. They go, Oh, give me your card. Give me your number. I'm going to start training with you. Everyone wants to train with you until you tell them, all right, here's the bill or this is how much it costs. 
and they're nowhere to be seen, right? So you start to learn that also. It's very difficult to kind of get people to buy in and yeah, and commit. And, you know, so a couple of the tips I guess I would give to trainers is treat it like any other business you would, right? If you were doing, let's say you open up a mechanic shop, you have certain rules, guidelines, prices, you wouldn't open up a mechanic shop and just not put any prices. Anyone that comes in, you go, uh, it's this much a session. And then, then you just keep dropping it or they go, I don't want it. Okay, okay. And then someone else comes in, you go, oh, it's this much a session. There's no rules or there's no standards. There's no contracts. There's nothing like that. Because I know trainers that do that. You have to treat it like any other business. You have sessions, you have you know, regulations, you have things all written down, like prices. It's all set that you're not treating it like just willy-nilly and changing it from people to people because trainers make that mistake. You don't have set prices. You charge someone, let's say, $1,000 for five sessions. You charge someone else $750 for five sessions. You're like, oh, who is it going to hurt? I am telling you right now, chances are just give it time. It's going to come back to bite you because it's gonna, people are going to start to find out that you're charging different prices, things like that. There's no organization or anything like that. It's going to come back to bite you. So that's my one tip. Treat it like a business like you would anything else. Yeah, that, uh, you're, you're, I think you're, you're spot on. And I, I certainly experienced that my, myself when I first started out as a trainer and training private clients. And uh, you got to know your value, right? You got to know like, yeah. and, and believe in, and believe in your value too. Um, of course. Yeah, and believe that you are worth that. In the same way somebody has no problem paying X number of dollars to go to the dentist or any other thing or to get their car fixed, like, yeah. Um, you're, you're, fi you're, you are fixing their, their car, their body. Yeah. And a uh, second tip, always remember the industry you're in is the service industry. Mm. So you're providing a service. So you don't, so you don't try to fit the client into your program. You fit the program for your client. So every client is going to be different. So remember that you're providing a service and that's probably the second tip I could give. It's important because a lot of the trainers forget and what ends up happening is they're like, I can't keep a client or I can't get any more new clients because the client they're trying to keep, let's say, they're not, they're not giving them the service that the client wants. They're, let's say they're into strength training. They're a power lifter, you know, by just the way that they're liking is powerlifting. They'll get a client, and I've seen this before, and they start to get the client to try to do powerlifting and weightlifting instead of sitting down, meeting with the client, and going, okay, my job is to provide the service that my client needs. So this is what my client needs. I might have to shift a little bit and introduce different types of methods and things like that. So remember that service. You change your service for the client and give them the service they need. Don't try to fit the client into what you think they need. You know, it's very important. Right. And that, that kind of goes back to like, and we have seen this before too. And it's the, uh, like, who is it about? It's about the other person, right? Like it's, it's yeah. not about like what I want as the trainer, right. Or it, it's really servicing that individual specific to that individual's needs. Yeah. Uh, we, we've all seen that. And I'm sure there are people listening that have had that experience with a trainer. We've heard those horror stories during a, an initial, uh, assessment about their, their previous trainer who just made them do 300 burpees just to make them do oh, yeah. burpees. You know what I mean? Like where it's, it's like, or they did a back squat. They start putting yeah. weights on the bar because right. strength training, strength training. You know? Right. Right. I mean, with my experience, what I do in the beginning is I, I give them the service they want. You know, if someone comes to me saying, I want to be stronger, we start strength training because that's what they want. And then maybe I start to notice that they need more mobility work, right? I might sneak it in without them knowing in between some strength exercises, but give it time, right? You give them what they want, they're going to stick with you, right? Because right. you want the client to stick with you. Right. Their, their needs will change also. What they want will change also. So just give it time and maybe they'll start to notice like, you know what? I am getting stronger. Thank you. This is great. But I, I'm starting to notice I'm a little tired. I'm not moving as well. And that's where you go. Okay, you know what? This is where I think you should maybe start to add this. And once they're, they have trust in you because you're giving them what they want, then they'll start to open up even more and be like, you know what? what do you think I need? You'd be surprised after a few months, they've gotten what they wanted. They're sticking with you. They're like, you know what? What do you think I need? You're the professional. It's now let's switch over to what you think I need. Let's work on that. Cause they've already hit their goals. 
right? So just give it time and you'll be able to work on what you want, you know. And I don't know, this may be your, your third point here, but I, I know that you've expressed this to me before. And I, I think this is the truth that you, you view clients as long-term, right? That the, oh yeah. These, that these, this is not, um, when you are taking on a client, you don't just go, I'm taking on this client for the next four months. You view them all as projects and you plan. If they're all projects. Yeah, that's right. And you anticipate being with them for it's a long-term investment. Uh, well, because I'm honest with them. So right. I could tell I'm honest and I'm very transparent and I explain to them how long it will take for their goals. And you know how people have hefty goals. So sure. I'll explain to them, they'll give me their hefty goal. I'll explain to them how long it takes. So, and I tell them, this is how long it takes. So um, that's, of course, that's how long it's going to take for us to work together. You know, so, and as long as people start to learn, it takes a long time. It's for you to change completely, like transformation takes at least a year. I know it might sound long to some people, but ask anyone that's actually transformed and give or take, it's around a year at least, you know, so of course it's going to be long term, you know, it's, there's no way around it. So it's, they, they, they start to notice and start to see that, you know, this is how long it's going to take. So let's do it. And then we get to work. You're, you're so spot on how long it really takes that I, I, I want to get into programming here in a little bit, but I mean, it is as much as like, and you've read these studies too, of, um, that it takes four to six weeks just uh, neurologically for the body to change when it comes to adding, adding, adding a load of weight. Yeah. Um, and then if you are diligent about it and you are doing deliberate practice, your body may, everybody's different, but your body itself from a comp standpoint is going to take anywhere from eight to 12 weeks to start to yeah. change it all. Right. So, um, that's and almost everyone learns that new, most general population doesn't know that. And right. They don't learn that from different trainers that we'll get into that once I talk about what's marketable and what works, but that's not marketable. So they don't really learn that either when they look online or places like that. Right. So to learn the actual science behind it, that physical changes don't happen eight weeks into it. You're, it's neurological, all the changes in the beginning. They're like, wow. And then they start to realize, okay, now I understand why it takes time, you know, right. and, you know, they buy into it and then they learn. Right. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I certainly had those conversations, especially with um, clients. We always hear that at the beginning of the year. It's like this year I want to lose this fat right here. They inevitably are gra- <laughs> grabbing their stomach, right? And <laughs> like, I I try to explain just even in my own experience. I'm like, I've run every day for the last twelve weeks, and it took me twelve weeks for my body to change from where it was before to where it is now. That was me doing it every single day, me monitoring all my calories, everything in the above. Are you doing that? And if you're, and if you're not even meeting me there, how can we expect it um, to change in two weeks? Oh, yeah. Everyone wants the results. No one wants to do the work. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> um, talking about doing the work, um, tell us, uh, talk to us about uh, CrossFit and 2003, 2005 and... Oh, CrossFit yeah. was CrossFit yeah. was awesome. I fell in love with it the first time I saw it. It changed a lot though since I got into it in 2003-ish. And I mean, it was... This is my, this is my thing about CrossFit. It, there's good and there's bad. Of course, in every fitness method, there's good and bad. The good thing about CrossFit is the fitness industry owes a lot to CrossFit because... They basically took strength and conditioning that only athletes, athletes used to do. General population knew nothing about it. All general population used to do was either bodybuilding, Jane Fonda aerobics, yeah. or dance classes, things like that. They knew nothing about weightlifting. CrossFit took what athletes did and brought it to the general population. And because of that now, the fitness industry has boomed. I mean, it is everywhere. And they owe that to CrossFit. Because yeah. if it were for CrossFit, People will still be training bodybuilding style and just global gyms, things like that. That is a good thing that came out of CrossFit. And another one is the female population got into strength training. My goodness, because before then they were afraid. Everyone knows how women were afraid to get buff. They thought they were going to get buff if they lifted anything over like seven and a half pounds. Right. You know, so those, those were a lot of good things. Because you'd be surprised, Mike, almost every CrossFit gym was more female than male. Almost every gym is though, but I mean, it was, you know, you would think you're going to walk into a CrossFit gym and see a bunch of guys with shirts off grunting and blood. Right. So there's not, you walk in half more than half are women. 
sweating, grunting, blood, sweat, tears, <laughs> throwing weights around. That was amazing to see that revolution, you know? And they, they also brought in a different type of industry, like the boutique gym and the group training. I mean, right. it wasn't around like it was until CrossFit, you know, kind of brought that into the realm. You know, there was a lot of good that came out of it. Yeah. And I think you're right. And that's what I was going to hit on was the, the boutique and what CrossFit brought to that. And it's that, um, that sense of community and it's almost a sense oh, of like yeah. a, a, a military community, right? Like it's, we're all suffering through this together, right? Yeah. Like, like we're, we're all sitting here doing this wad together. And as a result, we are, we are, we have this place that uh, I personally identify with because I do this with you and this is my place. Just like, uh, a church is a place for people or another group or an organization um, is a, is a place that people self identify with. Um, and that's what CrossFit has, has done very well. Yeah. Um, I just always tell people when they pick up CrossFit gym, the downside is the way the business model is made, there's no regulation. So a CrossFit, it's not a franchise, it's an affiliate. So there's no rules you have to follow. So every CrossFit trainer or gym owner is different in their approach. There's a lot of bad, trainers out there let alone like crossfit trainers and just regular trainers really don't just think because it's a crossfit gym it's a good gym there's differences between a lot of crossfit gyms depending on the owner the trainers so pick one that has trainers that follow you know sound principles in training because you could really get hurt i mean you could get hurt doing anything but just because it's a crossfit gym don't think they're all good there's differences between them too right and each one's unique um, yeah. you, uh, you talked about that you did everything for seven years. Yeah. Um, uh, so you were, you were doing everything from, you were teaching multiple was, classes a day. You were, I was teaching all the classes, all the classes. You yeah. were, you were scrubbing the toilets. You were filling the chalk buckets. You were, yeah, I was doing the marketing. I was doing the, on social media. I was trying to design the t-shirts that we had, like the yeah. merchandise yeah, pretty much everything except the accounting. That I was like, I'm not doing the accounting. That's not going to happen. Yeah, you outsourced <laughs> that. Yeah, which was yeah. smart. Yeah, that was smart. That's smart. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. But it just, and I learned something from that. I think we've talked about before. I didn't scale my business. I couldn't because right. I just trust anyone to hire them as a manager to just run it while I wasn't there. So maybe I could open another one or expand, right. you know, or not be there, right. be able to enjoy my life and not have to, you know worry about always being at the gym. I just couldn't, I could not do it. And my friends would tell me, my girlfriend would tell me like, just take a day off. And I would take a day off. I would call in yeah. while someone's teaching like, Hey, how'd it go? How was yeah, everything okay? Or I'll check the camera and see what's going on. Like what the gym looks like, right. you know, it just eventually I burned out. So I learned if I were to ever do it again, yep. were, I would definitely just try to trust someone and go for it and try to scale and let people take over. So you don't have to spend so much time there. And that's something that we have talked about, and it's certainly something that I have learned myself that um, uh, in leadership, the ability to delegate and to trust others is leadership. Um, it's certainly something that I yeah. have grappled with, and we've talked about this before, whether it's me running by the resort at 4.30 in the morning to make sure the lights are on because I, I'm afraid that the person that's supposed to turn them on isn't going to show up. Like At the end of the day... That, that doesn't behoove either one of us, myself or the person that's supposed to open. Yeah. Like you, got, you got to trust people to, to do their job. Um, but it's hard. It's not easy. Especially, yeah, especially when you set a standard for yourself and what you want it to look like um, yeah. and what you expect. Um, do but I've learned something. You can't expect – you just can't expect all the employees also to have that level of – because remember, it's your baby. Right. So you just can't assume everyone's ever going to meet with that expectation. They're not. And it's, you can't expect them to, you know, it's, it's, let's say it's your gym. No one's ever going to meet that expectation that you have set. So you kind of have to understand, you have to let go a little bit, you know, and let people kind of run things, you know? Right. And that also too, that like that in the other individual that's doing it, you shouldn't expect them to be at your same level because yeah. they don't yeah. have this. It's not, that's not what they're doing. It's like, are they, are they doing their job? Yes. Yes. Then, then they're good. Yeah, they're exactly. Good. Right. Um, we're starting to get a little long in the two. So I just wanted to make sure we, uh, we hit on a few other things. I, I, yeah. would, I would like to just hear a little bit about um, 
uh, Sri Lanka before I pivot to some other things. Oh, yeah. So I was, the, uh, yeah, I was the strength and conditioning coach at the high school there. My main focus was the first 15 rugby team. So first 15 rugby team means their main yeah. rugby team. Rugby is played 15s, 15s uh, on a side versus 15 on another side. That's what they call the first 15. And uh, I helped the other teams also that they had, some of the gymnastics teams, things like that. But my main focus was rugby. What's funny is I never played the sport. I've seen that before. But as a trainer, if you're a trainer, you understand you don't have to really know the rules of the sport. You just have to see the sport, know what's happening. You have to know, and then you'll learn, you know, what energy systems they're using, what strength they need, power, things like that, what's important. And then you just start training. But with the team, it was very easy because with training, it's – the way it works, once we get into programming, we'll talk about it. It's more about what you're taking out of your program that helps you more than what you're putting in. You'd be surprised. So all I really did when I went in there, I looked at the program that they had, and it was more about me taking out the useless things that was just wasting time and kind of not being efficient and optimizing that, their training. And it helped immediately, immediately. I mean, the, the results were amazing. We won the champ, like the rugby trophy, the uh, Bradby Shield that year. and you should see the winning play was a tackle that one of the centers did 70 meter sprint and his form. I got a tear because his form was beautiful. We were practicing all year on technique and form 70 meter sprint to save, uh, to do a tackle, to save a try to win the game. That was gorgeous. That was wow. See it, right. And that, that translated there at that moment. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. right then and there, everyone was like, some of the boys even turned to me and they were like, sir, now we know why you were like so hard on us during the training, like speed training on just technique and form, just technique and form. I'm like, keep working on that. And how much it transfers over. And they, some of the boys turned around, they're like, now we see why it was that, that run, that 70 meter sprint that kind of opened everyone's eyes, you know, uh, yeah, that was a great feeling. That was fun. Uh, but it was mostly about taking the useless things out. You know, you'd be surprised how that's what most people uh, to be like, I guess, to make their programming much better. Look at your program. You'd be surprised. You just have to take a few things out and it would make your program much better. That's that's such a good it's such a good point. And I, I want to dig into that a little bit. But there's a uh, I've got a quote up on my board right now. And it's from um, it's from endurance training. And we talk about. Um, uh, in endurance training, they talk about do hard work, but don't work hard. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, do yeah. so. It, and I think that that's kind of hitting at what you're talking about, right? That it's like, don't just do useless things to just do useless things. Do something, do, uh, do, uh, and, and don't just like work hard to work hard, work as hard as you can doing the thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So if we say, let's say, uh, it's eight ball slams. A lot of people always have trouble. They're like eight ball slams. You know, I don't understand. It's just eight. They want to, it's like, no, during those eight is when we're asking for the hardest work possible. So work as hard as you can during those eight. And that's all you need. You'll see it transfer over to the power that we're trying to get you to generate, you know? And that's, you know, that's kind of like where the quote kind of works. You know, it's like, that's what we're asking. Just the hard work. Don't work any harder than that. Just during that eight is when you should be, giving your max effort, you know, don't try to do more than that. And that's so hard for people because it's, they don't trust it. Right. Isn't that what it, is, it kind of comes back to? Yeah. 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 They, they, they just don't trust that, that that's enough. They want to, they, they want to feel like they've done it. Um, so like from uh, a, well, let's, let's start it like a assessment screening and then we'll get into programming. So, yeah. so let's just say I'm a, I don't know. Let's let's say I'm a 40 year old guy who works at a, a desk job all day. I, I come into you. Um, wh what are you doing in that first initial screening assessment with me? So we're we're sitting down. We're going to start talking about a few things. I want to know your injury history, injury history, your pre uh, previous training history, and what you currently do now for training. We're going to start talking about that and nutrition. I kind of sit down, it'll probably be about 15, 20 minutes, sit down and talk about that, get as much information I can regarding those three. Injury, of course, I want to know if they have anything that I have to take into consideration. That's very important. So that's the first thing I ask right off the bat. Health and injury questions, if they have any high blood pressure, anything that's going to be important to kind of take into consideration. 
then I want to know their training history to kind of get an idea of what I'm working with, like what they've done before, what, what any false pretenses they might have. That's another reason I asked that, you know? So if let's say they say, Oh, I've gone to this boutique gym and it was a bunch of treadmill classes. It was all cardio. And I'm going to, I'm going to take an educated guess that that's what they thought they had to do to lose weight was cardio. You know, that's why I like to ask that question. So I kind of get an idea. I profile them basically. I kind of try to understand their, any false pretenses they might be coming with, any, anything that they might think they have to do or anything like that. And then I talk about what they're doing now because I want to know where they are now, if they're doing anything, what habits they have, what they're, how much work they're putting into now into their health and fitness. That's what we're going to talk about. After that, basically my programming is very basic. There's six movements that every human should do, and there's so many variations of the six movements. A squat, a lunge, a hip hinge, a push, a pull, and a carry. So I kind of use basic, basic movements in those movements. Maybe a, just I watch them do a bodyweight squat, see what that looks like. Maybe a lunge, see what that looks like. I'm kind of trying to see how proficient they are in those movements. Some sort of pull, very easy. And if they do very good at the easy one, I kind of start to bump it up a little bit, use a progression until I hit that progression where I start to notice any faults, any energy leaks, things like that. And I go, okay, so now I build a base for all the movements so I know where they are. And then that's it, the assessment is usually over after that. And I kind of give a day or two before I meet with them again, maybe three days, depending on how long it would take me. I kind of do the math, I know how long it's gonna take me, knowing my schedule because I want to sit down and I write at least a four to six week program. Now it's not set in stone, but I want a rough draft. So I always kind of plan a few days at least. And I explain why. So they have a four to six week plan and they get that in email form. So they have an idea of where we're headed for the next four to six weeks also. Awesome. Awesome. And that four to six week plan is, it is kind of all encompassing for anybody, right? Or is it, or do you already have in your mind's eye, or do you already have a four to six week plan that's like um, my uh, 20 year old athlete? No, everyone, female. Yeah. everyone gets the, their own individual. individual plan. I don't have any templates. Now, some of my friends say I should have them because it is time saving, right. but I just like doing individual, you know, it's just. And I, I'm old school. You, you've seen me. I use yeah. pen. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I still write my programs. He does. He does. Which is yeah, uh, yeah which uh, which is really cool. And it, I think that also goes back to your belief in that each individual, each client is a project, right? And that's why you're going to take that time, yeah. those two to three days after the initial assessment, to kind of go in there and you know you you're uh, you're a painter, you're a sculptor, right? And you're, yeah, you're I start working on the project. Uh, yeah. I, I write the goal down and I kind of work our way backwards, backwards and then see when then what I see where their base is. So I kind of figure out how to work backwards and build a program from there. And it's not set in stone. Every program changes daily, daily. I'm changing a program because remember every day you feel different injuries might happen. You might get hurt. You, you know, something happens. So programs are changed daily. Right. It's just a rough draft that I'm writing. I have an idea of where we're headed. What type of, you know, is it going to be, what type of session it's, we're going to start with, you know, what phase, either a strength phase or maybe throwing an aerobic phase here. You know, it's, it depends. So it's, it's all rough drafts. And then I kind of work on it daily, weekly with them as I'm kind of watching, assessing. And we have to be, and as trainers, you have to be able to adapt, right? So it's like, oh, yeah. you've got to be able, because you don't know how that individual is going to respond to that four to six weeks. They may respond really well to it, and then you can go into yeah. that next aerobic phase, or or perhaps they're not ready, and there's it's, it's too much stress on the body, and then you got to pivot the other way. And then I think, too, what you said about, like, every day the individual is going to be different based off of what's going on in their life, or yeah. did, did they show up 10 minutes late to the session? You know, and I, I think a lot of times our newer trainers to the industry get, can get very set in their ways of like, this is the workout that we're doing today. And then you go and it's like, well, the whatever piece of equipment you were going to use is being used. You can't do that. Like you've got to be able to adapt on the fly. Right. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. That's yeah. That's why I try to write the movement down. So if I'm, let's say I, I, I usually write down two arm row. I don't write down what it is standing right. seated, whatever. chest supported. Cause let's say the seated rows are busy. I'm right. not going to 
or go, okay, we're going to wait or we're going to skip it. No, I just, I know that my client has to do a two arm row, right? So I'm just right. going to find the two arm row that we could use at that moment, you know, right. and I'll note of it. So then next time I'll try to use the same one if we can, because I want to see progression, of course. Yep. If we can't, I make a note of it, you know, so I, I have notes of everything. So I know where they are in the seated row or the standing row, if we have to do that, or the dumbbell chest supported row, you know, whatever we have to use. I'm all about keeping track of everything. Cause if you can't track it, you can't measure it. That's right. right. That That's right. If you don't measure it, you, you can't manage it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't measure, you can't manage it. So, and there, I have to see progression in everything. So every movement, I have to see some sort of progression. So if we get, once we get into the programming, so another way, the way I pick my exercises, I don't pick exercises that cannot be progressively overloaded for the most part, maybe some here and there I'll throw in, but for the most part, every exercise I choose, you can progressively overload. What I mean by that, for some of you listening that don't know what that means, you can overload that exercise either mostly by weight, by adding more load to that exercise. So. Uh, let's say a dumbbell chest press, you could keep increasing the weight, right? There's no limit. You could keep increasing and keep getting stronger. Uh, but let's say a clapping push-up. I guess you could add a body weight vest. I don't really know. See, I'm trying to find a good example here. I don't use many exercises that you can't, so I'm, trying, I'm drawing a blank here. Oh, a burpee is a good one, right? I'm not a big fan of burpees. Rob knows this. <laughs> Can't really, I'd rather do, a, do push-ups, maybe jump squats, you know, things like that, and progressively overload those. And if you could get someone to progressively overload a jump squat and a push-up, chances are they're going to be good at burpees without ever having to do a burpee. Right. You see what's happening there? So that's one of the things where you pick, you want to pick exercises that are, that are optimal, right? Because everyone's capable of doing burpees, but if you don't have to, to be good at them, and you could do other things and you get other results also, other perks from let's say doing weighted push-ups, jump squats, things like that. Why not pick the other exercise? Right, and then you're also reducing the chance of injury too. Right? Yeah, of, of course. The, of the individual, and because you're progressively overloading, the body is then primed neurologically and muscularly to yeah, yeah, take on that load. Because there's beginner level, right? You start with a regular push-up. Right. There is a beginner. To be honest, there's no really beginner level of a burpee. It is an advanced exercise, intermediate to advanced exercise, no matter which way you look at it, unless you're stepping down and stepping up, but then technically it's not a burpee. Right. And now right. we're just doing a step down and a step up. Right. You know, if you want flat out, just tell people to do a burpee. Chances are they're going to jump down to the ground flat, you know, either go into a push up or flop down or fall down and then jump back up onto their feet and then jump up into the air. And all this jumping, the stress on the joints, if they haven't done any before, if they haven't done any training to strengthen the connective tissue in the joints or anything like that, to build their capacity to do those burpees, you're looking at injuries. And my thing is with this injury is people don't understand. They're like, well, I've never been hurt. You have, right? You've hurt. Yeah. You've had these little pains in your wrists, but you don't connect it to burpees because it happened, let's say, a year later during right. you try to pick something up. But it's that wear and tear that the burpees put on your wrist and you try to pick up something and you felt this pain. You're like, oh, I just tried to pick up this bag funny. That's what caused the injury. Chances are it's that weakness that's been kept getting loaded every time you fell, put your hands down to do a burpee. Right. And then just that one movement that was the straw that broke the camel's back that caused the pain. But you're not going to connect it to the burpees. That's my thing with, the, let's say, those bad exercises. No one connects the pain that they get in their shoulders or anything like that to the bad exercise that they've been doing regularly. Right. Um, it's all those micro tears that are in there and it's yeah. cumulative. Right. And it, it then builds up. You're setting yourself up for like to get hurt and yeah. it's going to happen during the burpee chances are it happens somewhere else. And then that's the bad thing. You don't connect it to that. So you're like, Oh, it's not that. And you, and once you get better, you just go back to doing the burpees again. Cause you're like, Oh, it the burpees. It was right. just that funny movement. Right. And then two, uh, as a trainer, um, if your client is injured, you do not have a business, right? No, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so here's my rules. Number yeah. one, injury prevention. Right. Number two, performance. Number three, aesthetic. Because aesthetic is a byproduct of, of those two. Because if you're not injured, you could keep working on your performance. And if you keep working on your performance, you are going to look good. But if you're hurt, you can't work on your performance. You are not going to look good. 
right? And if you're not working on your performance, chances are you're not going to look good either because you're not setting up the discipline for the eating habits and things like that. So focus on the other two. The byproduct is you looking good. I love, I love that. We should, we should put that on a, a wall somewhere. I need to go on the <laughs> frame. Um, do you um, talk to us real quick about um, you, you do a great job of this, that all of your clients um, are instructed to, um, you set this expectation very early that they will arrive early, they will go through a warm up, and then you will get into the session with them. Yeah. Oh, there's another reason I do it too. It's to build community. So because I'm doing one-on-one sessions, it's right. not like training. I want to build a little bit of community and camaraderie between my clients. So the thing is I go sometimes past the hour with my clients, but my right. other clients know, right? Everyone's used to it. So right. say I'm with, and I go back to back. This yep. is one of the reasons I do back to back also. I love that. Just to knock them out. I don't want to waste any time. Right. So I have a seven to eight. I'm going into the eight o'clock a little bit. It's like eight, eight to one. I'm finishing up with my client. And usually we're in the same area that my client knows to my next 8 a.m. knows to come in and meet me. They come in. I, I always introduce them the first time they meet. So they start to know each other. One starts to warm up as I'm maybe finishing up, cooling down, talking to my client about the workout, gathering the last bit of information. And they start talking to each other. You know, like, hey, how's your day? Oh, then maybe they'll gang up against me together. Right, like, right, right. You know, but see what see what's happening there. While one's warming up, one's cooling down, they're starting to build a community between my clients. You know, that yeah. that's the only way I could do it one on one. That's the only way for them to see each other. Rather than I finish one, they leave. They never see any one of my other clients. Right. So they they never see any other work I do. They don't see any of my other projects. Right. Right. Important that the clients see all your other clients, clients right. you know, they work to, they start to talk together. They're like, Oh man, you know, like one goes, you know, Carly, that's one of my clients. You're looking so good. Sandra used to be like, wow. And Carly says the same to Sandra, right? Right. Now so there's each other up. They're starting to build a team together. That's the only way you could do it. If you're one-on-one, that's the way I figured it out. So I want them. I want, so at one point, let's say between my seven and eight, me and my two clients are standing there together. Yeah. At point before one leaves and the other starts their session i i love it when it's that way i try to set it up to be that way so smart and it's like setting up the person that's coming in to yeah. see what they're going to be experiencing at the end of it and like you said they're also seeing what you do yeah. um and they uh, watch you that yeah. gives you gives you value and how you're interacting with that other individual um they but, see that you treat all of them the same with right the, the same care also yeah. right so right. no one you know it's not like no one's special they're all special you know, right. the way it is. So they see that also. It, it's, you know, everything I do is for a reason always. <laughs> right. There's everything. Right, 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 right. There's nothing just an accident. No, um, try not to let it be. Real quick before we finish here, because we're about out of time. Um, we're obviously, we're in the middle of uh, this coronavirus. Um, yeah. When we're, we're offering uh, virtual training, or we're doing group classes online and things that people can do at home. What, what is one thing an individual that's listening right now that is home, they've been asked to work from home. What, what would be like the one thing a person should do at home every day to help their health and their fitness? So I'm a big believer of, I guess, if you're going to do one thing. So if people always ask me this, what's the one thing I could I do? Know. And yeah, always. Uh, and this is my answer always. And it's, it's, it's a very intense answer because it's just, you know, it's not easy to do. And your one thing you should always be focusing on is building habits. And I know it sounds very vague, but it's not. I mean, so let's say you have this goal of working on your health and fitness. Pick one habit. And I mean, just pick one that you think you could stick with and try to do it for 90 days. And I don't think people understand how hard it is to do the same thing for 90 days. So if let's say your goal is to want to get in shape and lose weight, pick one habit. And I would say, let's say, start with your nutrition always and pick an easy one. Like you're going to have the same breakfast or you're going to plan out your breakfast for 90 days. If you want to have something different or figure out a way, but you're going to plan it out. You're going to get the plan down and you're going to stick to it for 90 days. Start like start with that. Always pick habits to work on. That is my one goal that I always tell people. If you want to change your life, start with your habits. That's and I, it's intense. People are like, well, isn't there something else? Like, isn't there right. do? Isn't there like right. a meal I could eat? Right. No, there isn't. Right, <laughs> I right. Tell you this, uh, right. you know, like that's 
And I always say, okay, pick someone that you are idolizing, right? And let's say if it's someone young, an athlete, they go, oh, LeBron, Kobe. I go, man, you shouldn't have picked that person because I'm telling you right now, they would tell you even more. Like, do you have any right. idea of the habits they have? That's right. You know, like if that's, you, you know. Right. You, you, you're so right and that about like what truly elite individuals do in terms of routine and that you have to be able to, to, to do the boring. Like, yeah. you don't, you know, you, you have to be okay eating the same thing for breakfast or eating the same thing for dinner. Or if you're not going to do that, like you said, t okay, spending the time to plan that. Yeah. Um, You'd be surprised how many people aren't ready to eat the same thing every day or to say, have the same routine every day, whether it's to go to the gym or to make the meals or not eat this or to plan. People don't want to, they're like, fine, I don't want to eat the same thing every day. If I go with your other option is to plan every day. You could eat something different every day, but know that. You know how hard it is to sit down and go, okay, today I'm eating this. Then again, tomorrow you got to sit down at some point and go, okay, I'm eating this. And then the next day you got to sit down again and then you got to do the numbers, right? How many calories yeah. that? I go, that's even harder than eating the same thing every day. But most people don't want to do that. And most people don't, I, either they know that the people that are there, right? The elite that have hit the goals that they want to hit, that's what they do. They either don't know or they know and they're like, nah, I don't want to do it. That's right. I'm That's just right. going to be as blunt exactly. as I could be. Those are the only two options I could think of. You either know and you don't want to do it but, or when I'm telling you, so now you have the choice. Right. And the two, and if you don't want to do it, then you better outsource that food to somebody else to do it. And if you can't afford to do that, then you're going to have to take that on yourself. Well, what I tell my client then is I go, well, I don't want to do that. Either. I go, well, now let's adjust your goals. Right. 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 So they can meet what you're willing to do. Right. And then eventually we, okay, they go, okay, well then if with my goals, what do you think could happen? I mean, I'll, and I'll be, I'll be honest. I'll be like, you might lose 10 pounds within a few months, right? It's going to take a while because you're not going to commit to doing this and that, right? So, and I, I'll kind of give an educated guess of how long it'll take, but it's going to adjust their goals. It's not going to be what they thought they're going to lose. You know, that's what's going to end up happening. That's right. You either adjust your goals or you put in the work. One of those changes has to happen. Right. So if, uh, you have to put in the work to reach the goal that you came to with me, came to me with, or if you don't want to do that work, you have to adjust your goal and do, do that work, you know, to reach that goal. One of those is happening if you want to change. And I, I think that that, I wanted to ask you, we're, we're about out of time, but I, I wanted to talk about your nutritional belief system. And I think that that's kind of what you you're hitting on there, that when it comes to nutrition, that it's really habits is yeah. really, really what it comes down to. Like, I was like, you're not going to sit up your way to a six pack. Um, no. And as I say to clients all the time, like, can we work on my abs? And I go like, okay, you've seen the CrossFit games. You've seen the, the ripped abs that all those people have. Do you think that they sit there and do direct crunches? No, they don't do a single crunch. You know what they do? They lift heavy weight and they run. Like, right? I mean, and yeah. they're not doing direct abs. They may do a little bit, but th that's the thing. It's, it's diet. It's diet and then, and then um, doing hard work in a specific uh, capacity. Yeah. And it's all about just habits. Nutrition is about habits. People don't realize you have to build the habit of eating the same thing every day or planning every day. Because I know people that plan every day. They don't want to eat the same thing every day. So they'll plan every few days ahead of time, which that works too. But they sit down and take the time to plan. But they, that's, once that becomes a habit, it becomes automatic. But remember, it takes time. You have to do it every day for at least 90 days for it to become a habit. You know, that's, it's all habits. And once people form the habits, they change. And if they don't, you, you see those yo-yo dieters where they'll change for a few months, maybe a year, and then they go back. They change for a few months, and then they go back because they don't build habits. They just go hardcore for a few months, lose what they need to, and then go back to how they were living. Lose for a little bit, and they yo-yo back and forth, back and forth. Right. And then that right there goes back to the bigger point. And you've talked about this a lot and I could not agree with you more that it's that you are, we are training for the rest of our lives, right? So, oh, people, it's forever. so people go, Oh, I'm, I, I missed two weeks for a workout because of this, that, and the other. You go, okay, that's fine. What, what is two weeks in, in your, how long do you want to live till you want to live till you're 90? Like in that period of time, 
that is nothing. That is just a little, that's a blink of the eye. Yeah. Right. You could even go less than that. You with my clients, they go, Oh man, I missed two weeks for vacation. I go, we have 56 weeks in a year. I go, now look at 56 weeks. I go big. I open my hands up nice and wide and look at two weeks in the 56. They go, Oh, okay. That makes sense. That's nothing. Two weeks, 56 weeks. You know, you got to look at the bigger picture and then go down to the smaller one, you know? But yeah, the 80 years works too. It's really weak. Yeah. It's, it's like a little you dust just, in the 80 blanked. years. <laughs> you just blinked. It's nothing. It's nothing at all. And I see that too about, and I've certainly learned that in like the running that I've been doing in the last like four months is like, uh, you don't just like go do random things. And, and what you don't, and what you also don't do is you don't go run a marathon and then three weeks later go run another marathon. That, <laughs> like these things you're setting yourself up to not be able to run a marathon or to, to run at all in 15 years. It's like, yeah. like what do you, and, uh, and then just to fit wrap all that up and bring it full circle, that goes back to your bigger point about building a business that is sustainable and it's a long-term relationship. And that, that that's really um, what we're trying to do um, in this is to provide um, health for people for a long period of time. Oh, yeah, we're changing lives. That takes time. That's not easy. It's not overnight. You don't change lives overnight. That's right. Um, well, Serge, thank you so much for doing this and sharing your time with us oh, and sharing your thanks experience for having with, me here. with everybody. Um, where, can, where can people find you? Um, what, what are your social media if people want to follow you? Because you put a lot of good content up on Instagram and everything. Where, where can people find you? Well, I have just an Instagram account. If you ever want to see what I do, you could go to Coach Serge. And Sarah just spelled S-E-R-J. Uh, and if you ever want to train with me, you have to move to Playa Vista. <laughs> I work at the private facility in the community of Playa Vista. And let me tell you, you might think about moving there. It is beautiful. It is awesome. And it's worth it. I'm there too. So if you ever want to train with me, you can move there. If you want to see my the work I do, go to Coach Sarah on Instagram. That's right. He puts a ton of great stuff up on the Instagram, um, always with great content. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, Serge. And, uh, it was good talking to you. Um, and, uh, if anybody has any questions or anything, you can hit up Serge on Instagram at coach Serge. Nice. Thanks guys. Thanks Rob for having me. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye.